0: The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Okay, we want to welcome our online listeners this morning. This is a very, very exciting message, at least for me it is. And we are to the point of talking about fruit of the spirit in the spiritual area of life. We already had our little talk about uh, whether you get a grape at a time or whether you get the full cluster at a time. Can you imagine, seriously for a moment here, let's, let, let's break this down. Now I'm the type at Christmas time that when I get gifts, I have this little thing I go through, I shake it. I move it back and forth. I go through this whole little routine. Then when I open the box, I don't look inside. I put my hand in there and I kind of feel around. And I do this every single time. Some people are like, why don't you just open the gift? Sometimes I'll show the gift to others before I take a look at it. And then I take the gift out and embrace the fullness of the gift. Now, can you imagine if my family decided to get me something for my Harley and this something that they got for my Harley, let's say it is a front bag, and they gave me the straps for Christmas this year, okay, just the straps, and I open it up and I'm like, straps! What's this for? Oh, that's for a bag we're going to get you next year. <laughs> I mean, seriously. what is that like, talk about ruining a, a gift. Or maybe it came with straps and then buckles and then, you know, pieces that we can add it, literally add up to the numeric number of grapes in the cluster of the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, you don't you don't get patience till next year. Okay. Oh, and by the way, you'll get you'll get love the year after. And four years from then you're gonna you're actually gonna get kindness. Until then you can be full of hate. Because you don't even get that great for four more years. Now that almost sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Most Christians Today, function that way. They go into Christian bookstores and they go, they walk up to the helper and they say, "Do you have a, do you have a, like a book or a study or something on the fruit of the spirit?" Oh yeah, we got a whole aisle of that. So they take you over to the aisle where all the fruit of the spirit is, and they pick out their most favorite book of the fruit of the spirit. And they go, "Okay, there's a chapter on each." Great. There's even a homework assignment at the end of the chapter on how to bring practical application to each grape. I love this book. So they buy it, they take it home, and they start on Monday. I'm gonna do a grape a week. And I'm going to do the homework. I'm going to look up the Scriptures and I'm going to do the homework underneath that Scripture and then I'm going to pray that prayer to bring it into my life. That's the church today. We treat Jesus Christ like He's some kind of categorical slot machine. Well, today, Lord, I want patience. Lord, I lack in love for this brother. Give me love. Do you know we're actually insulting Jesus Christ by asking for more, 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 more of Him? It is a confession of your own mouth that you don't get it. I know Christ says to me quite often, Stephen, I have given you all of me. I have no more to give you. Why are you wanting more? Well, because I don't feel very good. Well, why don't you shift your focus from how you feel to who you are? That might do it, Stephen. But I just, I'm depressed today, or I'm down hard, or I'm just, I don't, I need more of you. Well, you think I cut my finger off and give you a finger on Monday and cut my leg off and give that to you on Thursday and here's some of my hair. Take a little of that. Yep, that's exactly what I want from you. If I ask, you better give to me. We start treating Christ like he is a slot machine. Sometimes we hit the jackpot on certain days and other times we just get a couple... Oh, in fact, he took from me today. I didn't get anything out of that poll. We treat this fruit like it's a gambling mentality. So we need to break this down a little bit and take a look at the details. So let's talk about the fruit in cluster form. Each of the grapes of the cluster of the Holy Spirit are equally as important, but I want to focus on one individual great that seems to be considered the greatest among them, and that is love. It's the pinnacle of Christianity. Love is the pinnacle of our life in Christ. Love is the pinnacle of the character of Christ. Now, remember when Jesus was dialoguing? Well, the disciples were usually just standing and listening. Thank God. But Jesus was usually addressing the oppressor. And in this particular passage, he was addressing the oppressors called the Pharisees. And they were good at a lot of the grapes because they practiced them. But Jesus was looking at these practicers of the grapes as children of who? Your father is, you can go ahead and say it, Satan, Jesus actually looked at the most religious people who had the great thing down as being children of Satan himself. So you see, fruit means absolutely nothing to God. What does mean something to God is Christ's life in you through the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit's identity characteristics is this list we're talking about today and it just flows out of you. Now that he cares about. God is a jealous God. He's a righteous God and he shares his glory only with indwelt believers. He gave us Jesus so we may behold the glory of God. He does share his glory with us. Not for ownership, for manifestation. So as the fruit is flowing through us, we literally worship our, lift our hands and worship because we are participating in the very glory of God. You talk about a special privilege. But these Pharisees have mastered the art of the practicing of the grapes. And Jesus looks at them and says, for you are of your father, Satan. What an insult. We've dedicated our entire lives in the cleanliness of our robes and the tassels and our little hoods that we wear and the way we wear our beards. Everything about us is these grapes. And you're telling us we're, of, we're children of Satan? Yeah, that's exactly what he's telling them. Just because you say you believe, just because you are on your knees, just because you've got this practicing thing down... It does not mean that it is the life of Christ doing it through you. The fruit is the greatest venue to deceive people to think that they are actually Christians. That's what Jesus was addressing with these Pharisees. He's like saying, You think you get it, but I'm more concerned of who you are. Who's your daddy? That's what he's concerned about. Who's your daddy? Identity comes from our fathers. Do you understand that? You have behavior in you that is replicated by your earthly father. If it's bad stuff and demonic, you will suffer with bad stuff and demonic until the day you die. Can it be yielded over to Jesus Christ for transformation? Absolutely. It's always about swapping identity of fathers. That's what Jesus was addressing that day. Who's your daddy? Who are you getting this, this fruit of darkness from? How in the world could Jesus refer to their fruit as darkness when it is all very much like this list? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful. They had it all. Except for one thing. They didn't have the life of Christ who was standing right in front of them. So they started talking to them about you need to be born again. And one of the Pharisees started laughing at him going, wait a minute, how can I be born again? How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? The greatest test of true salvation is to have someone explain to you the born again process. And if they can't, you go on my prayer list. If I speak with tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries of all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am, I am nothing. And if all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned and do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and it is not jealous. Love does not brag, it is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own. This is just the definition of one of the grapes. Just one of the grapes. It does not seek its own, it does not provoke, it does not take into account wrong suffering, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Truth, obviously, is is one of the 225 names of Jesus. So we could say, but rejoices with Jesus. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there's if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. And if there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. We need prophecy today. We need prophets today to be able to have a gifting to say to a body, to say to a world, I could say to a community out there or a country out there who has a far better grasp, I got a letter from, I printed it in our latest newsletter, I got a letter from a gentleman in Uganda who is thanking me for our work with the president, the first lady there, and what the result of those that action of working with the leadership of a country with true Christ as life teachings and how it is affecting the entire country. It wasn't me or anyone else who went in there to talk to the leadership of a country. It's Jesus Christ, spirit bearing witness with true believers in Uganda, and you see transformation. Then you have the opposite of this. Well, prophets are the ones that have the tendency to look at the full ramifications of a rebel, the long term ramifications of a country, a community, a person rebelling against the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. I am sick and tired, just like you are, hopefully you are, of people practicing Christianity. What is the difference between Christianity and indwelled Christians? Christianity is the actual definition from the Greek as those who follow Christ. How many Christ followers are there in the world? There's over 3,000 religions. There's 320 primary religions, which means they're actually surveyed often. And let's just take the 320. Out of the 320 primary religions in the world today, Ninety-two percent of those religions claim to believe in Christ. One category is indowelt Christians. Janie and I got a report, a government report. We actually read it through World Magazine. And the, the United States government had listed out the most threatening religions in America. And Janie, do you remember where Christians are? This week, the army got caught listing Christians as a uh, terrorist group. Yeah, that's actually the article, which we got a couple months ago. So, Christians in general are under the Terrorist Act. This is the United States government. Now, this is the thing that blew my mind. To have Christians on the list was like a duh. But here's what blew my mind. Can you please tell me where the exchange life Christians were? Number four, our own government has separated Christianity from indwelt Christians. And we can't even get two churches in a small community to agree on the primary message of life is the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. And secular people doing research who are listing out very high risk The separation of those who follow Christ and those who are in Christ. Well, I don't know if that twists your your mind, but it certainly twists my mind. And then I get leader uh, letters from leaders every week who have a precise, clear understanding of what it means to be an indwelt Christian versus a Christ follower. Let's follow this all the way to the end. When we're in literally the last hours of the end times, not the last days, the last hours. And you're standing right there in those last hours, or your grandchildren, or great-grandchildren, whoever they are. And they're standing right there, and the Bible has been warning through prophets from generation generation to generation to generation to generation to generation to this hour that there's going to be an anti-Christ who will represent the image of Christ. We have 97% of the entire world putting Christ inside their religion. The name Christ, not Jesus Christ. Christ. What would it take for an anti-Christ to just slide in whose name is Christ, and that 97% would follow him wherever he wanted to go. There's only one group out of the 320 major religions who are going to be approached by this Antichrist and say, you are not my daddy. I know you not. I know my Christ. His name's Jesus. I know Him, but I don't know you. You're a phony. How do I know if I really know Him? Because the real Jesus lives inside me and it's not bearing witness with this Christ. It is the last message that is preached, but it is the first thing that is needed for discernment. Only Jane and little bit Jess know what I war with with people who are doing things and they're participating in evil, promoting evil events, I don't care what the event is, their discernment level is almost nilch. Well, anyone who has a discernment level of .03, I've got to ask some questions. Do you really have Christ in you? How can you do that, support that, put money into that if, you, if Christ is in you? Isn't is there any movement at all? Do you understand that? One of the four requirements in proof of purchase is you shall know them by their fruit. Another one is you shall know them by their love. We just went through that one. Another one is you shall know them by their deeds. And the final one is, those who are saved will endure to the end. You'll be able to go face-to-face, toe-to-toe with the Antichrist and go, you are not him. And the Antichrist be be uh, "Slaughter that one. Next. And that is a decision many of our brothers and sisters are making every single day in Muslim bloc countries. I will not follow that Christ. Slaughter that one next. See, death is nothing to them. Human sacrifice is a part of their religion. Do you know when a Muslim sacrifices a human being, they get credit on eternal side? And if they slaughter an indywel Christian, they get another wife. I mean, that's just crazy to me we need to understand there's a difference between fake grace and the real deal and the life of Christ. So let's talk about this passage that we just read. The passage clearly differentiates between self-love and Christ's love If we speak and perform miracles but do not have love, we become nothing more than a noisy gong in the body of Christ, and certainly to the world. I've attended many churches that make use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, confessing great things of God through their faith, but have unreconciled relationships all around them. God is not impressed with body members who conduct deeds of the Kingdom of God. He is more moved by those body members who love. The evidence of God's love in and through the indwelled believer is seen by the accomplishment of the other grapes of the Holy Spirit, when this occurs within, we will not be apt to be impatient, be unkind, jealous, brag, or be arrogant. The Christ's life believer, therefore, one is characterized by their love. First, love for God in Jesus Christ, and secondly, the love of God through the believer to saved and unsaved world around them. Remember when Jesus was in this dialogue. And he said, you know, there's ten commandments, but there's two that are greatest among the ten. Love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, with all of thy might. Second is like it, he said. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're ever wondering about how to love your neighbor, just keep an eye on yourself for one day. As selfish as we are, is the level of love we should be communicating to another. That's an easy fix. Jesus obviously knew that. So loving the Lord with the trinity of who we are and then loving others with the minimum of how much we care about moi. And you'll have it. But see, if I'm so caught up in the love of God, what I do offer this is going to bypass me. And if that isn't a blessing then I don't know what is. It's the, literally, it's at the foundation of what we're talking about today, of the fruit of the Spirit. You've got to have those two. Love for God and love for others. Okay, since God is love and God is in each body member through the representation of Jesus Christ, by way of the Holy Spirit, true love is demonstrated by a life from within. We humans have no ability to muster up the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. For it is Christ within us that provokes, not, does not take into account of wrong suffering, will not rejoice in unrighteousness, but only rejoices in truth. There's a moment on the cross that is very, very special to me. And every time I hear it referenced or I see it in a movie or whatever, It just pierces me to the inner core of my being. And Jesus is hanging there. Unbelievable pain. Seeing mockery all around Him. Seeing betrayal everywhere. Being left alone. His own disciples not even showing up. I mean, this is just a horrid moment. This is the darkest hour Of any hour that was ever past, present, or future. He is moments away from literally becoming sin on our behalf. And what does he do? He says, John, meet your mother. Mom, meet your son. And I'm like, what? Couldn't he have done that a few days ago? He is pierced with sins of all of mankind. And he wanted to make sure that his mother was in the right care of the right person. James was next in line to care for his mother. He bypassed his own brother and gave his mother to John the Beloved. And if you haven't thought that scene through, maybe you should take a little time to think that through. Why would Jesus break Hebrew law and give His mother to His beloved disciple who was with Him from beginning to the very end? He's probably got Jesus' blood on His garment. He has wept with Him when He wept. He's laughed with Him when He's laughed. He has fed His Savior. He's been fed by His Savior Kept eyeballing his mother the whole time when he was busy with ministry. What's going on here? Love. He wanted his mother loved as he has loved her. And he knew that John got it. He got it. He was there from the beginning of his salvation to the end. He got it. Why did God pick John to have him captured and imprisoned on an island that the Romans thought for sure was going to kill him in days? This was a dry place for John. And all of a sudden, God says to John, get up. So John stands up like some people stand up when the Word of God is being read. He stood up and the Spirit lifted him up into the heavenlies, and the Scripture says, "For he saw as the Spirit saw life." You have the last third of the Bible. As you know, the Bible's in Trinity: Old Testament, New Testament, Book of Revelation. And here, Jesus's beloved is called by His own Savior. His own husband, who cared for his mother until the day she died, who buried her. And Jesus calls him up after that burial and says, First he falls on his face when he sees Jesus because he was fearful of his life. And the scripture says he acted as if he was dead. Well, that's another big moment. To be so overwhelmed by the presence of God, you're afraid to move? And we arrogantly sign his name to Halloween and pagan holidays and emergent Christianity? Like it's some kind of Ford signature that was given to us as a right to Christianity. Not John. He falls on his face before the presence of Jesus who is lit up in his full glory of God. And he was afraid to move, so he just pretended to be dead. And Jesus said, get up, my beloved, fear not, for it is I. And then he said, record what I'm about to show you. And I cannot even imagine what John was going through as he was recording past, present, and future coming together as one sight. Who did God pick? Who did Jesus pick? Someone who understood what it meant to be loyal, faithful, true, and loving from the beginning to the end. There are millions of Christians who think they're getting into heaven, but the only proof is if they're like John from the beginning to the end. Who's at the foot of the cross when my friend Lester is being crucified by a rebel. I will be there. And Pastor Vic, and anyone else that God says to be friends with, we must be there. And not to blow it off. That's what God is watching for, folks. That's what He's watching for. He wants to entrust His life, His mother... His ministry, the end times scripture, to a man who understands love. It was also John who wrote in First John, for God is love. It's not a manifestation of Him. God is love. He was also the one that said in First John, He says, well, the way that I know if you know God is is if you love. He even went on to say, for if you don't love, you don't know God. This is the Beloved saying this. Do you realize that 1 John is the most critical book in the entire Bible? The man is unbelievably tough on us. Read it yourself. But at the same time, it is the most gracious book. John was not wimpy. Love is tough. Love is enduring. And it never lies. Whoever believes that Jesus Christ is born of God, this is out of 1 John, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. That's the actual proof, guys. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. It's not the law. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, and that is our faith. First and foremost, our love toward God reveals our love for His Son. And since we possess the Son within us, we should show this evidence by loving other bridal members, children of God. Secondly, if we truly love God, we are quick to keep his commandments. This is where it gets a little dicey, folks. If we don't keep his commandments, does it mean that Christ doesn't live within us? No, not necessarily anyway. It does mean that we are not walking in victory and in the identity of of Christ within us. If we truly walk after the Spirit, we prove that we are overcomers and thus being born of God. I'm no longer a Pharisee. I actually understand what it means to be born again. Although I must say the reality of not allowing Christ to keep His Father's commandments through us just might be the evidence that Christ does not live within us. This is why this principle is a discerning factor that must be discerned by the Holy Spirit. Love must express accordingly and through the Spirit, not by way of mustering up love for the unlovely because we are mandated. The fruit of the Spirit may be described as moral excellence in acts of loving kindness and mercy, beyond legal requirements, but rather through a life that has been placed within each born-again believer. Love is the primary characteristic of Christ in us because it reveals the very nature of God through His Son who actually lives within us. The nature of God lives in us. Our job is to allow the fruit of the Spirit to germinate, develop, manifest, mature, express itself in and through me through the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. It's called Releasing the Spirit, as one of my mentors puts it in a book, Release of the Spirit. Ponder these questions. Number one, by obedience to Christ in you, are you allowing the love of God who is God to reveal Himself through the Spirit? Number two, What choices are you making that might inhibit the expression of the Spirit in you? And number three, what ways do you see the love of God manifested in and through you? And finally, number four, who are these individuals that you find difficult, if not impossible, to love unconditionally? They are your God-ordained test that's put in front of you. So to tell my spiritual son when there's a machete at his neck that the person who has the machete on your neck, they're watching for one thing. Will you deny your Christ? That's your moment where you point the finger at the enemy and saying, you're not my daddy. And when you submit to fear because someone's about to mistreat you, You're confessing that Satan is your daddy. Because fear is not of God. It involves punishment and condemnation. You look at that oppressor at that moment. You embrace the moment, not the oppressor. You are not my daddy. Well, I'm going to cut your head off. It's a great day to die. I love it when I when I hear a leader going, you know, I'm not even sure I'm going to make it. Remember when our pastor in Phoenix, James McDonald was saying to us, he came and he was sharing the the process that John MacArthur was taking him through and John MacArthur looked at him and I mean, here's James McDonald who has 1.3 million listeners on his radio station. And he's got satellite, 10,000 satellite churches all over the world, and John MacArthur is looking at our pastor, and he's saying, are you sure you're saved? Uh, hello? Don't you know I've got 10,000 church plants? Uh, don't you know I have 1.3 million listeners on the Radio Bible Hour? What, don't you, what, aren't you seeing me? No, that's not how he responded. He went into prayer. Because John MacArthur saying from what I'm seeing happening in those services is you are not challenging these people to find out if they are truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Saved. Our pastor went into a week of prayer. Studied the things that his his mentor and brother gave him to study. And he came out on the other end. Sunday morning, he stands up and he says, I'm here to tell you this morning, I am saved. I remember that moment. I could go to that church and put my finger on the chair I was sitting in. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. What is our pastor doing saying, I just found out that I'm saved. And then he told us the story. That's a leader I'll follow. Because neither one of those leaders wanted to miss the possibility of all of that fruit that we're seeing is nothing more than fruit from Walmart. I can do a lot of ministry if you give me money. I'm telling you, I can make some fancy commercials. I can have some billboards that will blow the minds of people. Just from this tiny little nobody brain of mine, I could put some stuff together that could give evidence. Oh, Finney's going to heaven. Really? Be honest with you, I don't think I've got my ticket securely stamped until I endure to the end like John. Do I believe I'm saved? Of course I do. Do I believe I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Of course I do. But I will not be so arrogant and lie against the truth. Have I passed the final piece of evidence? Those who endure to the end, those shall be saved. We are a very sick church. Can that man endure to the end? I'm watching him very closely, as you should watch me very closely. Never assume. Assumption will put you in the pit of hell so quick. It'll make you spin for eternity. That's what assumption will do. Anyone who's listening to this podcast worldwide, I want to challenge you right now. Do not assume the people you're working with are secure in eternity because they use the name of Jesus Christ like it's a fraudulent signature to be signed to cultural events or cultural suppressive lies that is destroying your country. It's destroying your churches. destroying their lives. Rightly discern. And if you don't have a good level of discernment, I challenge you in your Christianity. I challenge whether you have the indwelling life of Christ. If there's anyone who should know that they know that they are a beloved John, it should be the leaders of the body of Christ. So we can assist in rightly dividing the goats from the sheep in those final hours. Not ushering them to the pit of hell on a holiday. It's insulted. And I know it insults God and God wants it changed. So 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23 says, Since you have in obedience... To the truth purified your souls for the sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of the seed of perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. Pretty clear. Fruit and obedience going together. All our believers desire to be obedient to Jesus, to truth. Those who claim to be self-proclaimed Christians and do not desire such obedience are most likely unsaved. When we are motivated to be obedient to Jesus or truth, we actually become purified in our minds, in our wills, in our emotions. Once we embrace such purification, we immediately start loving on other bridal members unconditionally, which becomes the proof of purchase that we truly have gone through the born-again process. So therefore, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts for ways and means by which we are twisted in our beliefs regarding love. This twisted view of love oftentimes comes by way of our parents' lack of affection towards us or perversions of love relationships we have encountered from the past. Rejection experiences have a lot to do with our view of being loved and loving others. Here's our identity matter statement. Please online listeners, I just want to remind you that this podcast that you're listening to has a PDF of the actual slide presentation that we used this morning. So if you've missed out on any of the words from the message, please feel free to download at the same place that you found the podcast. Identity matters. You have heard me speak of Godship and its effects on spiritual and human relationships. Godship is simply this, setting standards of conduct on others, including God, and demanding obedience regarding those standards. Even standards that might be biblical in nature, but this kind of love is manifested from our self-life, not Christ within us. Selfishness mixed with God's love turns into self-love, which accomplishes nothing. True and honorable love can only be expressed through the saving life of Christ within us. This is why self-love must be repented of. We cannot make the switch from our own form of love to God's love within us without such repentance. Once repentance occurs... We can appropriate the identification truths of just who we are in Christ. And our identification in Christ is manifested. And we are freed up to go and reconcile with those whom we found difficult to love with our own strength.